Father, we thank you. Been good to us. Been good to us this week. You woke us up each day. We didn't find ourselves in a hospital or a wheelchair. Lord, we were above ground. Enjoy our family. Come to the house of God a few times a week and worship you and learn. We have so much to be grateful for. We have jobs. We have money. We have cars. We have nice homes. We have so much to be thankful for, Lord. And I pray this morning, oh God, that you would just touch our hearts with the spirit of gratitude. And help us, oh God, to realize all that you give to us, Father, in your precious name, the name of Jesus. And we pray this morning that you will touch our hearts. We pray this morning, Lord, that the word would go forth and that, God, you would receive the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'd like to speak to you about deliverance. Deliverance comes little by little. Don't let the title fool you. Doesn't give us a license to sin a little bit and a little bit. Listen to the sermon and what God has to say. God says in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 6 through 8. The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb saying, You have dwelt long enough in this mountain. Verse 7. Turn you and take your journey and go to the mountain of the Amorites and unto all the places nigh thereunto, in the plain, in the hills, and in the vale, and in the south, and by the seaside, to the land of the Canaanites, and unto Lebanon, unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. I want you to realize what God was saying to them. He says, I want you to go meet the giants. I want you to go meet the enemy. Come on. (laughs) What kind of God would say that? I want you to meet the enemy. I want you to turn. I want you to take your journey. And I want you to move from where you are to where I'm taking you. To the land to go in and possess the land which I swore unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to give not only to them, but to their seed. We have to personalize this message. Come on. We have to internalize this as a challenge to grow spiritually. Some people have dwelled too long in one place spiritually. Come on. They're stuck. And they don't know they're stuck. And that's why God sends preachers. That's why God sends the ministry. We need to ask ourselves, have we been hanging out on some spiritual street corner too long? Are we afraid to move off the street corner? We can become so complacent. We can become so comfortable with that street corner that it becomes our identification. It becomes our actual identity. Anytime God says to go forward, you have to expect opposition. You have to also expect a Canaan-type experience. There's two things things to, to expect when you're moving forward for God. You have to understand that the enemy is going to come against you fiercely. But you have to also understand when God says go in and possess, 
that there is a Canaan land there that God wants to give you. A land flowing with milk and honey. A A land where God wants to teach you. A land where God wants to give you wisdom and knowledge. A land where God wants to prosper you. A land where God wants to bless you. What does Canaan represent to you is a question that we have to ask ourselves. To me, it's something better than I have even right now. And what I have right now is really great. But God says I want to give you something even better. It's like being a parent. We always want to give something better to our children. We always want to make their lives better. We always want to make their lives productive and fruitful. And we go to great extremes to accomplish that mission. We as a people need to turn. We have a need to turn and take a journey toward Jesus and go to the mountain of the Lord. We should not withdraw from God. We should approach God. The children of Israel, as we saw last week, withdrew from God. They went away from the mountain. They couldn't hear what the words of God were saying to them. We can't afford to put ourselves in that kind of a position. We have to allow God to touch us. We have to allow God to guide us. We have to allow God to move us. We have to allow God to order our steps. And sometimes those steps are in the face of the opposition. We say, why, God? We'll find out in a few moments. The people of that day weren't convinced that God had their best interest in mind. And sometimes today we're not convinced that God has our best interest in mind. That's when we take over. That's when we assume control. That's when we say to God, you know what? You're not doing it quick enough. You're not doing it like I like it. And it's not happening. So guess what? I'm going to turn and make my own journey. I'm going to turn and make my own way. And I want to tell you something. I've told you this many times before. Our best thinking will get you where you're going. And that best thinking sometimes is failure. And so the question remains in my mind. Why do people continually want to go toward failure? Why do they want to allow the enemy to consume them by staying on the same street corner? You have to ask yourself a question. Do I believe that God has my best interest in mind? And you know how you know that? You know that if you're just doing life by yourself. Come on. And not allowing God to accompany you to do life. It's making decisions by yourself and not asking God about his process. It's by not inquiring of other people in counsel. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. It's saying, this is what I'm going to do. And when you use the word, this is what I'm going to do, I can already tell you, you're on the wrong train. And it's going to collide eventually. Some people say, well, it hasn't collided yet. But ask yourself, where are you this morning spiritually? Where am I? Where am I? Where do I want to go? Am I complacent? The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 9, Moses told the people these words. And he said, And I spake unto you at that time, saying, I am not able to bear you myself alone. What was he saying? Moses was a tired pastor. He had a bunch of people that were critical, that murmured. Some thought they didn't know what he was doing. Some thought they could do it better. But the fact remained that Moses was the leader and they were the followers. Because God placed Moses as the leader and them as the followers. And sometimes as a leader, you have to make tough calls. And sometimes as a leader, as Moses was, he had to preach some hard sayings. 
What was God saying to them? He was saying this. You need to do your part in helping yourself. Now some people say, well, where is that in the Bible? Only after we help ourselves will we be able to help others in Christ. Listen to what it says here. You are not on your own, but have Christ in you. So it's Christ helping us. The church has to get to the place spiritually where people don't feel alone about their problems and the street corner where they're hanging out. Come on. You see, what we do is we hide on the street corner. We play pretend. We shoot the Willie Bobo. Listen, we're all adults here this morning. And these are the last days. Amen. And if I pull punches with you, I'm not doing my job as a pastor. That's right. That's right. We can't stay on the same street corner. We can't say the same things that we said five and ten years ago. We can't be in the same place that we were 20 years ago. There's got to be movement. Because if there's no movement, there's decay. And where there's decay, there's deception. And where there's deception, there's destruction. God is trying to say something to the church. The church must have mutual support. We must support each other mutually. Just like we're a biological family. We have to help one another off the street corner where we live. You might be saying, Pastor, I really feel like I'm spiritual. I don't doubt you are. You might be saying, Pastor, I really pray and I read the Bible and I'm there. And I commend that. But is that where you want to stay? Is that God's will? Is it God's will for, for a baby to be 40 pounds and 27 inches? Is that God's will? Or do we continue to feed that child as that child grows? Is it God's will to stay stuck? Is it God's will to stay here? You cannot possess what you dread. You cannot possess what you fear. You cannot possess anything good from God if you're still thinking you're living in Egypt. If you're still daydreaming about living in Egypt. If you're still thinking about possibly the pleasures that you had in Egypt. Because let's face it, my friends, we're all adults here. It wasn't wasn't all garlics and leeks and onions in Egypt. There were some pleasures. Come on on now. You didn't just eat garlics and leeks and onions when you were in your sinful Egypt. There were some pleasures. And the Bible says there is pleasure for a season. (laughs) So don't mistake yourself and deceive yourself. And it's very easy when life gets tough. It's very easy when life gets crowded. It's very easy when the wagon trains are circling you. It's very easy to say, I'm going to go back to Egypt because that's where I got pleasure. That's where I forgot my problems and my situations. And I didn't have to think about God. I didn't have to think about going to church. I had no responsibilities. I wasn't accountable to anybody. And I was doing my thing. So just leave me alone. That's the attitude that a lot of people have today. They don't want to be provoked unto love and to good works. They don't want to be provoked unto the things of God. They don't want to be challenged. And they're receiving a life message that's destructive. Mm -hmm. Instead of receiving a life message from God that's productive and fruitful. We must help ourselves and help one another through Christ. We cannot stagnate. Atrophy sets in. Muscles get weak and you can't walk. You can't lift your arms. We can say to ourselves, I'm okay. 
Everything is good. I'm okay. No, you're not. You're not okay. You're not. You're on a street corner. And some people are dying on that street corner. And some people will actually die on that street corner. It's not for people who are taking drugs and alcohol that are going to overdose on that street corner. It's the church. It's the Christian people who have become so lukewarm and so complacent that nothing moves them other than a selfie or a cell phone or a picture or this or that. My friends, listen, it's time to move on. It's time to turn. And yes, there's going to be giants and there's going to be opposition and they're going to come into our face, but we're going to look at them face to face, praise God, and see the backside of the devil run from us and not toward us. For so long, the church has seen the devil come against them. The devil's after me. The devil's coming against me. Isn't it about time that we see the backside of the devil running from us? When we have the power of God, when we are the witnesses of Christ, when we have the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Ghost, my God, we can face any opposition and look at the devil eyeball to eyeball and say, oh, it's just you. Come on. We're afraid. Where you're going or where you're not going will have tremendous impact on those you live with and those that you have influence with. If you're in emotional turmoil and you're spiritually paralyzed and you think there's no way out, then you're not a victorious person. And I'm not saying that we should be walking around with elf boots and bells and funny looking hats and telling everybody, look at me, I'm so happy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is this, knowing that God is going to work out every detail, even though it looks horrendous. Even though there's a a hurricane on the sea, even though we're in the boat and we're looking like we're drowning. God says, I'll take care of you. I'll watch out for you. But you got to stay in the boat. And you got to decide you want to move somewhere in that boat. And that God is the captain of your boat. You see, in Christ, there's always an exit out of Egypt. In Christ, there's always an exit out of the street corner. In Christ, there's always a way of escape. And the enemy seduces and deceives people in making them believe there is no exit. Come on, preach. If you look at the book of James, the circle of sin that takes place, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life, faces all of us. But it's when we make that decision, and in that moment, God says, here's your escape hatch. Take it. Don't stay on that street corner. Don't light up. Don't do it. God's speaking. And we decide to do it. Death has been conceived. And when we bring death to our soul, you will eventually spiritually overdose on the street corner. I said you will eventually spiritually overdose on the street corner. It'll happen. And for some, they will physically overdose on the street corner. Because they're in denial. They hear the voice. 
Listen, I have spoken to a lot of people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol. And I ask them often in groups and in one-on-ones, was God wooing you while you were out there? Oh, yes, Pastor. There was messages everywhere. Who was inviting them to church? Who was giving them a gospel track? Seeing a sign on a truck, Jesus loves you. Over and over, the signs were there. But they decided to stay on the street corner. They decided to allow the giants to consume them. And for some, they allowed the giants to kill them. Oh, that can't happen to me. That's not good. Listen, I go to church. I speak in tongues sometimes. I'm good to go. No, my friend. The enemy will deceive you into thinking that you're okay when you're not okay. Unless we're moving forward. Unless we're moving forward to grow in Christ and grow spiritually. We're staying stagnant. And that spirit has a hold of us. And we allow that spirit to be entertained. Deuteronomy chapter 128 says this. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakims there. Then I said unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God, which goeth before you, that's the key. He will fight for you. That's the key. According to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. What is going on here? The same thing that's going on today with dread. The spirit of dread comes. The spirit of fear. What is dread? It causes us to tremble. It causes us to fear. It terrifies us. It oppresses us. It prevails upon us. It breaks our spirit. And we can't move. We become spiritually paralyzed to move toward God. And we decide to go back to Egypt. We decide that there's something there that will comfort us. But all it does is bring shame and condemnation and guilt and all that junk that God wants to free us from. He says, dread not, neither be afraid. Don't stand in awe of the enemy. Don't stand in awe of the opposition. Don't look about how tall they are, how big they are, how insurmountable you think they might be. When Jesus on the cross died and rose again the third day, bringing a severe blow to principalities and powers and rulers and spiritual wickedness in high places, the Bible says he put them under his feet. He spoiled their principalities. Have we accepted that? Have we accepted our authority in Christ? Have we accepted that the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus, there's nothing greater than the blood and the name of Jesus Christ that demons tremble. We we keep entertaining spirits and those spirits eventually will get a hold of you so badly that they'll make you forget God and they'll keep you on that street corner until they kill you. The Bible says in Romans 8.15, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. What is it saying to us? The spirit of bondage means to be a slave. 
means to be in bondage and subjection to another who desires to control you. What do you think sin is? It's the desire of Satan and demon spirits and evil spirits to control you. To control you. To keep you at bay. To keep you from worshiping. Who do you think keeps you from worshiping? You think it's God? You think it's God that keeps our hands in our pocket? You think it's God that says, hey, don't raise your hands, that's foolish. Hey, don't sing to me this morning. I only woke you up. Hey, I, I only put a heartbeat in you. I only put air in your lungs. Hey, hey, don't even think about thanking me this morning. Hey, don't even thank me for your job this week. Don't thank me for the bread I put on your table. Hey, don't thank me for the heat that's in your home. Hey, don't even thank me for the car you drove. Hey, don't even thank me for making you live in America. Don't even think about it. Don't even praise me. And that's what we do. People entertain the spirits of depression, oppression. And we go around saying, I'm depressed. You know what you just did? There's a bunch of demons in hell that are saying, let me go this time. Because the last time you went, you didn't put them in the hospital. The last time you went, you failed short. Listen to what I'm saying. Drug use. He didn't get you this time to overdose. Send a different demon. Send a different demon. I have an addiction. <laughs> so we'll make that announcement. I have an addiction. I will do something about it. Stop staying on the same street corner. And because people will say, hey, nothing bad's going to happen to me. It's not going to touch me. We're so deceived in the church. We're so deceived by our own emotions. Come on. We're so deceived because we don't know the word of God. And then the enemy brings in dread and fear and he says, Hey, you can't fight me. I'm bigger than you. Where is your God? My God is right here if I want him. My God is more powerful than anything that's in the earth or above the earth or under the earth. My God woke up on the third day, praise God, in the tomb. And he walked out. And he made himself available to people that saw him for many days. That's my God. There's no DNA in the tomb of Jesus, my friend. I said there's no DNA in the tomb of Jesus. He walked out and he took everything with him, praise God. Hallelujah. And he went back to the Father in my behalf. We stay stuck because we want to stay stuck. We sin because we want to sin. We make the choice. Every day that I wake up, I have to go by the words of Joshua. Choose you whom this day whom you will serve. It doesn't matter that I've been with God for 45 years. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I did yesterday. It doesn't matter what I did last year. It doesn't matter how many sermons I preached. Come on, every day the battle's new. Today the temptations will come. Come on. Today, the giants will come into my life and try to bring dread and fear to me. But the Bible says that I have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You see, when you're in sin, you fear. You're afraid. You're afraid you're going to get caught. And you have to lie to cover another lie. And you have to be deceptive. And you have to be sneaky, sneaky behavior. And it takes a lot of work to do that. It just takes a lot of work because you can't remember the lies that you said to cover the lies that you said. You know that. We've been there, done that. 
And that sneaky behavior. And you're thinking, hey, nobody knows. Hey, listen, you think people are dumb? Are you serious? You think we were six feet tall, 205 pounds when we were born? Don't you think we came up the ranks of Holto? Don't you think we were out there in sin? Don't you think we know about the street? Come on, my friend. God outlines his agenda. And he deals with us concerning the issue of dread and fear. It says in Deuteronomy 7.17, If thou shalt say in thine heart, listen, These nations are more than I. How can I dispossess them? Thou shalt not be afraid of them, but shalt well remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and to all Egypt. Verse 19, The great temptations which thine eyes saw, and the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand and the stretched out arm, whereby the Lord thy God brought thee out, so shall the Lord thy God do unto all the people of whom thou art afraid. Verse 20. Moreover, the Lord thy God will send the hornets, listen, the hornet among them until they are left and hide themselves from thee, be destroyed. Thou shalt not be affrighted at them, for the Lord thy God is among you, a mighty God and terrible. What's God saying? I can send an insect. I can send a hornet's nest. And I can send so many hornets. Oh, I don't think you believe that. I don't think you believe God can do that. I can send hornets. Like I sent frogs, lice, blood in the water. You see, people, they forgot what God did for them. They forgot what happened here. That God brought them out to bring them into Canaan's land. They forgot the miracles. They forgot the sea opening up. They forgot the plagues. They forgot when the blood was applied to the doorpost of their house, their babies didn't die. But there was great horror and sorrow in Egypt. Because Pharaoh played so long on that street corner that God said, keep playing. Keep playing. Keep playing. And one day, Moses is going to come to you for the last time. And he's going to say, this will be our last meeting and our last sermon. Keep playing. And he played. And just like they drowned the babies under a different Pharaoh before the Pharaoh that came, what you sow, you reap. Blood for blood in the Old Testament. He drowned with many of his soldiers as God took the wheels off their chariots and they couldn't move as the waters collapsed upon them. God will not be mocked. Come on, preach. God will, his word will not be mocked. God will do what he will do. And he said he will judge the church first, which scares me to death. Because we think in the church we're immune. We think we're just okay. But we allow the enemy to come and draw us because we don't get off the street corner. You see, the battle's in the mind. You are what you say. 
You go around all day saying, man, I'm, I'm stressed, I'm depressed, and nothing's working out for me. Oh, sister got blessed, and I didn't get blessed. You have a critical spirit, you murmur. Paul reminded them in the book of Corinthians, don't murmur like they did in the Old Testament. That's what we do. Spirits of jealousy. People are jealous. <laughs> Actually jealous of what someone else has. Someone else's state in life. Oh, you make more money than me. I'm jealous. You have a better house. You have a better car. When we should be rejoicing for what that person has been given by God. Amen. I have what God has given me and I'm happy with it. And if God wants to give me more, that's his business. But the most important thing that God wants to give me is spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. God's report card must always be looked upon in our life. That's what the children of Israel forgot to do. They started to murmur again. They started to say, this nation is bigger than we are, God. We cannot possibly go into Canaan's land. When God said already, I have given you the land, I will fight for you. I will take care of business. You cannot allow yourself to forget God's spiritual history in your life. Because that's what you use as your resume. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And what is the word of their testimony? What great things God has done for us. Look where God has brought us. He brought us out of Egypt. He brought us out of the rule of the pharaohs that were in our life. He has blessed us. Listen, there's nobody in this church that has not been blessed beyond exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think this morning. Come on, friends. Tell me where you were 20 years ago. Tell me where you are now. Tell me where you were 10 years ago. Tell me where you are now and tell me you're not blessed. We are so blessed as a people, as Christians. And you know the beauty of it? When we go to work for someone else, because we appear, they get blessed because of our spirit. And because of our wisdom and knowledge that God gives us. People rely on you. People say, cool, that, that he knows what to do. You know why they're saying that? Because you're the Christian. You're the man or woman of God in that business. They know what you're... That's why people get promoted as Christians. You know why? Because we have know-how. It's not so much about your education. It's about the wisdom and knowledge that God gives you on how to perform in the workplace and you become an automatic blessing to your boss and to your employer. And don't be surprised when you get a raise or a bonus or a promotion. It's because God rewards those that diligently seek Him. Friends, there's no one here that has not been blessed beyond their socks. We have more now than we have. Listen. Look at your basement. Look at your attic. Look at your garage. We have so much that people rent space to store it. We have been blessed, my friends. Amen. That's the spiritual history of God in our lives. Deuteronomy says it well in Deuteronomy 6.22. And the Lord showed signs and wonders. He's done that for you and me. Great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all the household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. Some people really dread and fear change. 
some people really dread change. There's been times when some of you sitting under the sound of my voice were given the opportunity for a promotion and initially, oh, I can't do that. Ah, I can't do that. That's ah, beyond me. And some of us in the church pushed you, challenged you, provoked you and said, you're the person. God's put it in your lap. You know why? Because God wants to bless you. And some of you took that challenge and you got that promotion. You got that job. You became a supervisor. You became the boss. You became the leader where people follow you. No one follows a parked car. Remember that. You got your hands full, but you're doing a good job, young lady. Nobody follows a parked car. Your car is now parked, but they'll follow you now because your car is now parked. You put it in drive. You see, when the new sheriff comes in town, those that want, don't want change, they'll leave eventually. They'll transfer. They'll go somewhere else. Or they'll become so miserable that they'll end up hating themselves and inflicting pain in their own life. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. Gather those that are with you. Gather those that are following you. Gather those that have the wind at your back. Gather those that have the vision that you have as a leader. Gather those that want to go where you're going as a leader. Those are the people that will help you build and fulfill the will of God for your life. What's our identity as a church? What's our identity as individual people? Some people don't want to get out of their rut and their old patterns of thinking. I'm just going to stay stuck. You know what? Stay stuck. You want to live a life of mediocrity? You don't want to advance. You don't want to go any further for God. You don't want God to provoke you and push you to the next realm and the next season. And you think you'll prosper where you are just standing still or sitting down. You'll eventually can't stand yourself. And you'll wake up every morning with dread and fear saying, I don't even know if I can get through this day. Because you're not enjoying what God wants to give you. You're pushing it away. It's like me saying, hey, come and have dinner with me. I have spaghetti and meatballs and I have garlic bread and cheesecake with strawberries or cherries on top. And you say, well, you know, I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. You know what I'm going to tell you? Good. I'll have seconds. I'll eat yours and mine and then have more. So stay stuck. Stay in your own little pity party. Stay in your own little corner of the world. Stay there. You know why? Because as long as you stay there and people are with you, you're going to make them miserable. And one day they're going to wake up and they're going to say, you know what? I can't stay here no more. This is terrible. This is depressing. This is oppressive. This is prison. This is an emotional prison. And I'm going to break out. And we're going to try to stop people from breaking out if we're on that street corner too long. And you know what they're going to say? Guess what? I'm out of here. Because I can't stand living under this spirit. It's depressing. It's oppressive. It's negative. It's defeating. It's destructive. It's discouraging. And listen, when you get your head bashed a few times with a baseball bat, and you got a big lump on the side of your head, you decide after a while, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. 
and people are going to move away from you. Deliverance of our enemies only comes supernaturally by God. Listen. Numbers 14.11, and the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people provoke me? These are people that came out of Egypt. These are people that saw miracles, signs, and wonders. How long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? There was such fear and such murmuring against Moses and God. Why did you bring us here, Pastor? Why are we here? Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Don't you know how good we had it? We had onions and leeks and garlics to eat. Don't you know? We had bread and water. We worked in the hot sun making bricks and building buildings and and cities for Pharaoh. Don't you know how good we had it? Yeah, we didn't have a 401k. Yeah, we didn't have health insurance. Yes, our teeth fell out. But it was good. Good. It was good. Gold breath, onion breath, indigestion. Oh, I can't wait for the next meal. Ooh, what are we having today? We're having garlic over onions. How about tomorrow? Leeks over garlic. We're going to mix it up a little. We're going to toss it into a salad. Can't wait to eat, Mom. Can't wait to eat, Noah. What's Mom making for lunch? Garlic, onions, and leeks. Man, Noah, you can't wait to go home, son. I'll give you a fork to bring from the church. I'll give you a big fork, son. So you can dig into that onion and go, Mmm, Mom, this never tasted so good. And tomorrow, we'll have onions and leeks and gauze, and we'll do something different. We'll have a different dressing. (laughs) And maybe on Friday night, we'll splurge. Instead of going for pizza, we'll have bread and water. No mozzarella. No tomato sauce. No chicken wing pizza. No gusto italiano. No buffet, sis. I know where you're going. You're going to gusto. You're going to the buffet. But Noah, he's staying home because he's going to have plain bread and water. Mm. Yeah. He's going to have plain bread and water. And he's going to say to mommy and dad, I couldn't wait for this meal. Mom, I was so hungry. I couldn't wait to have bread and water. And tomorrow, Mom, I'm so looking forward to garlic and onions and leeks. Oh, wow, I can't wait. I just can't wait. Can I have some now? Can I take some to work? Can I take some to school? Put some in a plastic bag for me. Put it in my lunch pail so I can blow out everybody at the table with garlic bread. You got it good, son. You got a good son. You got a good young people. You got a good. Mom and dad aren't that bad, are they? Go out to work. Go shopping. 
Cook, put food on the table, make sure your clothes are clean, make sure you look presentable to the world, take care of your health issues, your, your, your dental, your eyeglasses, your shoes, make sure you look nice. And my God, oh my God, I can't stand my mom, I can't stand my daddy. I have such issues. Issues. Eat some rice. <laughs> Not even with beans. Not even chicken roll con pollo. Just have some plain rice like you do in foreign countries. Well, little boys and girls went online for a little bowl of rice. But I don't like my mommy because mommy makes me do things. Mommy gives me chores. Mommy wants me to take out the garbage. Daddy expects me to pass my grades in school. Whoa, whoa. He, he's a beast. He's a giant. He's a, he must be a Canaanite or a Hittite or a Parasite or an Amazite. Oh, God, you said you'd deliver me from them. <laughs> Want a message, young people? I have a bag packed at the door, but you're closing it. And you think you're so smart. I take this 11 triple E. And I move you pretty quickly out the door with your bag. And say, go make it on your own, bro. I wouldn't even give him a bag. I'd give him a bag. I'd put a pair of pajamas in there. I wouldn't want them to be cold on the street corner. We have a good. God's blessed us. We should give him something. And when he wants his praise and worship, he wants our love, he wants our fellowship. And these people said, hey, let's invent the blame game. You didn't invent it. Adam and Eve invented it. It was the serpent. It was this woman you gave me. And they started blaming the pastor and they started blaming Moses and they started blaming God. You know, they were sick people. They were terribly sick people spiritually. But someone stood up. And his name was Caleb. It says in Numbers 14 and 24, But my servant Caleb. Now God's going to get on the horn here. He's going to shut them up. Because he had another spirit with him. And hath followed me fully. Him will I bring into the land where unto he went. And his seed shall possess it. He had another spirit. You know what it was? It was a strange spirit. It was the spirit of the living God. And it was so different than the spirit of these people that said, just take us back to Egypt. That's where we're so happy. That's like you telling the teacher in June, please don't promote me to the next level. Set me back two years. Put me back in the fifth grade when I deserve to be in the seventh. Because you know what? I want to go back. It's like, Whitney, let's start at the first grade again. Come on. Let's, come on, girl. What? Why, why do you want to be? Why, why do you want to be in this grade? We can say that. Because she was so happy there. You see, I, I played with blocks. 
I finger painted. The teacher loved me. I was the teacher's pet. I, listen, when I was in school, I, believe it or not, I was in charge of the reel-to-reel recorder. <laughs> me? Can you imagine? Mr. Mechanic-less. I had to put the extension cord. I had to put the tape on the reel-to-reel. That's how old I am. Reel-to-reel. My Lord in heaven. Come on. <laughs> My job was to erase the blackboard and to wipe it down with the wet rag and to clean it and make it nice for the teacher. Man, I'm telling you, I was special. <laughs> oh, I just want to go back there. So I can do the reel-to-reel again. So I can wipe the blackboard of the chalk and, and take the two erasers outside. I had so much fun banging them together. Bang, bang, bang. Look at all that dust. <laughs> but it was fun. Bang, 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 bang. And the teacher was so happy with me. I just can't wait to go back. In first grade, I had a box of 48 crowns and two pencils. They, they kept me out of kindergarten. I don't know why. I must have been a mama's boy or something. I went to the first grade door. The door was closed. My mother had to take me to school. First grade, I banged on the door. I bang, bang, bang. All the kids were sitting there. I walked in the classroom and I threw the box of crayons at the teacher and the two pencils. That's the start of my school career. Well, I just want to go back there and throw crayons at the teacher again. And you know what she made me do? Pick up every last one of them and put them in a box. Well, I just want to go back there. What a... That's the way people are thinking. Because it was so good. It was so much fun. Fun? Good? Do that all over again? No more teachers, no more books, no more teachers, dirty looks. <laughs> Do you know what we did on the last day of school in Brooklyn? We had to take all the books home. You know what we did with them? We threw them down the sewers. <laughs> did you know that? We threw all of our books down the sewers in Brooklyn. Where's your book, son? Oh, Mom, we didn't have any books. We didn't have any books. <laughs> you know, we, we told the truth. We didn't have any books, but we didn't tell them where we did with them. We threw them down the sewer. No more pencils, no more books, no more teachers, dirty books. Do I want to go back there? Do I want to have Miss McDonough when I wasn't paying attention in her class in math? Sitting in the last row, last seat. As she threw the big heavy set of keys, she was about five foot. And she threw the keys across the room. And I had to duck and she said, pay attention. <laughs> well, Mr. Pappas, when he used to put his long arm, he was the dean. And he was also the pottery teacher. And when you weren't behaving, he put that long arm in that garbage pail with pottery. And all of a sudden, duck. <laughs> Man, was he a big dude. Or how about Mr. Nissen with the dowel stick teaching you how to use a piece of machinery and you weren't doing it right and he'd sneak up on you and he'd take that dowel stick and he'd you on the back side of the... and go, wah! Wah! What are you doing? 
You're going to kill yourself. You like your fingers? You like your hands? Do I want to go back there and get that? That's what we do when we stay stuck. That's what we do when we murmur. But Caleb, the Bible says, had a different spirit. It was a prophetic spirit. It was a spirit of vision. It was a spirit of hope. It was a spirit of warning. God imparted him a vision that said, we can go and possess the land. Forty years ago, no, he wanted to go up with Joshua, but the people discouraged him. Forty years later, an old man, 80 years old, says, give me this mountain. Come on, people. Look at you young people, walking around like you got a load in your diaper. Look at you. Look at you. It's an effort to get up in the morning. I'm tired. How old are you? 15? 16? Oh, what'd you do yesterday? I slept all day. What'd you do? I didn't do nothing. I was, I'm so tired. Did you know what I have to do every day? I have to get on a school bus and I have to go to school. Do you know how hard that is? You know how hard it is to go to, to get on a school bus, to get up in the morning and ride a bus and go to school and try to learn? Man, you don't even know, Pastor. No, I guess I don't. I guess I don't. I guess I don't. I'm just a little bit confused. Caleb said, you know what? I can smell Canaan's land. You know what? I can smell victory, people. You want to stay right here and live a discouraging life and defeated? Stay. My car isn't parked. Those of you that want to follow me, I'm 80 years old. I'm going into the promised land. I don't care if there's giants because I already told, hey, heard what God said. God said he would defeat them. Amen. God will do something special. Well, what was God saying? He was saying in Deuteronomy chapter 3, 22, you shall not fear them for the Lord your God shall fight for you. Amen. He shall do what? He shall fight for you. Second Chronicles 32, 7 reminds us of this. Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. For there be more with us than with him. Amen. There's more of us. Amen. In the heavenlies. That's backing you up. Deliverance. Listen here. I'm not closed. Comes little by little. Deuteronomy 7.22, and this is important to understand. And the Lord thy God will put out those nations before thee by little and little. Thou mayest not consume them at once, lest the beasts of the field increase upon thee. What does that say? God brings us into spiritual increments. He doesn't give you a blueprint when you become a Christian for the rest of your life, if you notice. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word, but by the word of God that proceeded daily out of the mouth of God. God doesn't give you the whole blueprint. But little by little, he shares with you. Short pieces. Short seasons. Sometimes longer seasons. Okay? And he was saying to these people, if I took out all of the enemies at one time, the beasts of the field will overrun the towns and the cities and they will kill you. Because there will not be enough people to kill off the beasts that are coming into the town. 
God was smart. God had wisdom. Amen. He said, I'll give you them one by one. Just be patient. I will defeat them one at a time. Because if I obliterate all of them at one time, you're not going to be handling, be able to handle the influx of animals that we're seeing now domestically come into your backyard. We're seeing deer come. We're seeing turkeys. We're seeing foxes. Can you imagine if there was nobody around to hunt and to kill the animals? What would happen? Those animals would eventually overtake us and rule us out. God was very smart by saying, I will decrease the enemies one by one. And that's what he wants to do in our life. It doesn't give us a license to sin. It's not about that. It's about God bringing us to the next place incrementally and spiritually, slowly, to teach us what he wants us to learn. And people get that confused. So here's what God said he would do. Look at Exodus 23. God has such a sense of humor. You know, sometimes he sends, he sends uh, the frogs, but I, I like what he says in Exodus 23, 28. He says, I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before thee. I'm going to send a bug. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. I will take care of them, smallly. I will diminish them, the enemy, one by one, but not all at one time. You see, we want everything at one time. And it's not going to happen. Because God is a God of increments. He builds love, virtue, knowledge, wisdom. He builds foundations. And unless you are patient with the foundation that he's building, you will try to get ahead of God and rush the process and you will fall flat on your feet. Because it's you that's doing it and not God. So why does God allow all this to happen? Let me close. Why does God allow the enemies to be in our life? Why can't we just be Christians, get saved, get filled with the Holy Spirit, and just sail through life and get blessed and go to heaven? Why does it got to be a struggle? Why does it have to be a challenge? Why is it always a fight? Why, do, why does the word say fight the good fight of faith? Why do, well, the Bible says we war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rules and spiritual wickedness. Come on, God. Come on, God, I'm tired. Why the fight? Why can't we just sit down, have a nice cool glass of sweet tea, a nice hamburger on the barbecue, some baked beans? Why, why are we going to fight? Because the enemy is mad at God for rising on the third day and he can't get to God. He thinks he's going to kill God at the Battle of Armageddon. He's so deceived. <laughs> it's a whole other story. <laughs> he's mounting up his army. Satan is like God is mounting up his. He's mounting them up. 
And he really believes that he's going to be able to defeat God this time on the Battle of Armageddon. <coughs> Read Revelation chapter 19. This is what this is all about. Globalism, open borders. Have Satan enter into people. Occult, witchcraft, all of it. He's mounting up an army like God is mounting up his army. And he really believes that he's going to be able to kill God. He tried a few times. He tried in the, Old, in the New Testament. He thought if he killed off the babies that he'd kill Jesus and Jesus wouldn't go to the cross. It didn't work. He tried to kill Jesus a few times by shoving him off a mountain. But Jesus disappeared. And he thought he had him done at the cross. Until Jesus woke up on the third day. So his deceptive mind thinks, I'll get him at the Battle of Armageddon. I'll raise up an army. I'll have 200 soldiers cross the Euphrates River. 200 million. 200 million. You, you can't even think of that number. I'll have 200 million soldiers cross the Euphrates River. God, they'll drive, they can drive the Euphrates River for them to cross. My wife used to walk across the Euphrates River, did you know? To go to school. That's a scene. But we know when we read the book and we read the last chapter, we win. Amen. The Bible says the blood will be up to the bridles, the horse of the, the bridle of the horse. But he be the leader. Faithful and true will lead us. Amen. And we will win. Amen. I said we will win. Amen. But that deceptive spirit that's in the world thinks we got one last mount against God. That's why the heathens rage in Psalms 2. They think they got this. They think they got it all figured out. But guess what? God continually throws a wrench into the machinery. What does it say in the Bible? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Why do we have giants? Because God is testing us. To see if we will prove ourselves true to God and to the gospel. And if we will endure to the end. This is the challenge. To help one another endure to the end through Christ. Jeremiah said it in Jeremiah 32 and 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. And there is nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompenseth the iniquity of the fathers and to the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. Great in counsel, mighty in work, for thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Judgment will come to the politician. Judgment will come to those that oppress the poor. Amen. Judgment will come to those that sin and separate themselves from God. And that judgment, the Bible says, begins in the house of God. So what's God looking for? He's looking for a people that will be faithful. He's looking for a people that will be true. And if we follow the, first, the following verses, we'll be successful. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You have been kept for this hour. To be revealed to the world, to those that you live with, to those that are in your home, to those that you have influence with. You have been kept and born for this hour. 1 Corinthians 15 and 57. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Admittedly, admittedly, sometimes ministry gets tough. Admittedly, sometimes ministry can almost become grievous. With decisions, what to preach, how to counsel, how to speak. People expect so much from you. Some expect you to walk on water and be perfect. And they'll point out the very, very one thing that you might do or say that either is, gets misrepresented or miscalculated or whatever. And they'll ride their hobby horse on that. Not look at the 99 things that might, you might have done to help them. It's a precarious situation. It's what I call sometimes a conundrum between a rock and a hard place to try to lead people, especially in the day that we're living. To hold the standard, to hold the torch, and light the fire of other people, which God has called me to. To hold the torch and light the fire and raise up an army. It sounds crazy. I say, God, who am I? Why do you speak words to me? Why have you write them down? Because I sometimes retreat as a person that sees himself as shrunk, but not what God prophesied to me through a man that I met only one time in my life, that God sees me as a giant in his kingdom. And I have to fight that spirit because I see myself as shrunk, as small, as meaningless. And it's a fight because it's one of the Canaanites in my life that I have to fight sometimes daily and weekly. God is saying, I've given you a torch to light the flame and the fire of other people. I don't know how God's going to do that. To raise up an army in the last day that will play havoc in the spirit world against the spirits of darkness. Psalm 78 is a sad account of children receiving testimony that their parents failed because they didn't have faith in God. Jesus asked this question in Luke 18 and 8. He said, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? I know the answer to the question because I know there's going to be a raptured church. So I know there's going to be a group of people that will have faith. But I also know this that Jesus prophesied and predicted an apostate church where millions who once knew Christ will be deceived 
by the false prophet, the beast, and the antichrist into thinking that they have something better than God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's nothing better than what the Trinity can offer you this morning. There's nothing better than what God can offer you today. And the greatest gift that he's given us is salvation. And that's deliverance from sin. Woe be to us to go back there and trample the blood of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. A champion, a hero, the son of God and the son of man. To ridicule that cross and that death and resurrection by going back to Egypt and doing stuff that God is not pleased with. Deliverance comes little by little. God wants us to grow spiritually and to help one another mutually to grow in Him and to receive the blessings of God and in the end have our children look back upon us if Jesus tarries and say, my parents had faith. My parents obeyed God and my parents taught me the things that I needed to learn to survive spiritually. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Thank you. You're welcome.